He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, February 18, 2023. In studio for our big intro, show troubadour Dave Gunners. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. It's episode 136, Kwame Spearman. He's running for mayor. All the major mayoral candidates are sitting where you are sitting right now, troubadour. And one of them is going to win. Have you watched the debates? No, and I didn't know. Has there been a second debate? Yes, I, I missed last the first night, one. Oh, you, nine news. Uh, Kyle Clark, Marshall Zellinger, Anusha Roy. It was good. And for all those people participating, 13 last night, including Kwame Spearman, it was lively. And they got to confront each other. And Kwame kept confronting Leslie Herod, and then Kwame got confronted. You will have to hear all about it, and you will, because Kwame thinks these are exciting, and I would too if I were a candidate. They are better than average debates. I urge people to go to YouTube, either the CBS4 page or the 9 News YouTube page. Everything's on YouTube. Just speak it into your remote control. It's that kind of world. Even you are getting hip. What is it? You're wearing earbuds now to work out? Holy cow, way to get with it, Troubadour. Those are the earbuds you gave me for my birthday. Thank you very much. And what are you listening to? Your own music? I listened to the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street last night, the whole album, and that was my workout. So it's, a, it's something I think I might, uh, I'm, I might replicate tonight. You should. And you should listen to your own song, Looking Down, featured this week. I think you were on psilocybin when you wrote that is that true it's possible i like those songs that start a one a two a one two three four. i mean how do you make that decision as a band leader well it's probably not that different from uh from sports you know the whistle blows and you're off off and running i right? know but you don't always start with the one and the two but this one you kind of do someone's got to count it off and it's either going to be the drummer or like you say the band leader this is a drum driven song unlike a lot of yours mm -hmm. yes who bangs the drums is that you or somebody else no 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 i don't uh i don't i don't uh i'm very rudimentary at drums although they are fun to play and um the drummer here would have been, um, that would have been James Townsend. Way to go, James. But you are the lyricist, am I right? Yeah, it's my song. What are you looking down at? I don't know, Craig. From where? <laughs> from an airplane. I kind of visioned it from an airplane. Oh. I think I had just re read The Little Prince, you know, the, um, how do you pronounce his name? Exupery? Saint? I haven't yeah, read that anyways. kind of Oh, no, no, it's, it's a good book. But anyway, the idea of him flying like in the and start by starlight at night and and looking down at the earth was kind of the original vision of the you song. You know what you confessed to me this week every week you give me another confession. A man you like, you think he's talented and handsome. I thought, holy cow, I thought he was a happily married guy. What will Lisa think? You're in love with Matt Damon, aren't you? 
It's a man love, yes. Well, I, I wouldn't call it love. I like Matt Damon. I think he's good. I he, mentioned this to our mutual friend Brad, and the, the song Looking Down, have you heard of his movie called Elysium? You sent me the, uh, I was tempted to actually watch it since you, you sent it to me. Is it good? It's Matt Damon. Yeah, but is it good? It's about a society that they had to leave Earth to make it nice because and, the Earth gets ruined. You know, I don't want to spoil it for you. I just saw him in The Martian, which was very good. I don't know if this is as good, oh, but I, I, if you recommend it, my buddy, then I'll watch it. I recommend I bought a zoo because my cousin Julie Orn was one of the producers. She knows Matt Damon. Maybe I could hook you up. Anyway, I thought that we'd talk about some things that Looking Down might relate to. Are you ready? Go. Denver. Is Denver looking upward or downward right now? Well, I hate to think it's looking downward. A little down. Too much crime. Right. It's not on an uptick right now. Okay, right. Too and much the homelessness. Yeah, the downtown, the homelessness All right, so that's looking down. Of course, we have these balloons looking down on us until we blew them out of the sky, but it turns out these last three... Who knows? Oops. What's up with that? We're going to shoot know. first. It's crazy. Ask questions later. Yeah. But here's what I think the metaphor is, and it kind of creeps me out about your song. When you're looking down, you know what's down there? The earth. Below the earth. <laughs> no, I, had not, I didn't have that in mind, but leave it to you to keep going further. You mean you're telling me to go to hell? No. no I'm not that's saying what you're that, alluding no, to. No, I'm saying a grape. Aren't we all headed for the earth looking down? Yeah. And actually, when I, now that I'm thinking of it, since, since I'm actually thinking about the, the, uh, the origin of the song, Looking Down, um, I think it was more looking at your life from a, from a broad perspective. Because yeah. he starts out, I'm in the middle of lo- my life, a, a bit beyond, right? Right. Right. Like you're on the back nine. The back nine, yeah. I'm could thinking be like the, about golf. The, could be like the last you know, two or three. Yeah, 17 or 18. Yeah. Or 35 or 36 for Tiger today. I watched it all on my iPhone. How do you I do? finally sprung for ESPN Plus. Yesterday was so sensational. He birdied the last three holes, and he was right in there. It broke 70 and contention in a way, and then today he had to come back, and his legs are so messed up from that horrible wreck. And he's not swinging quite right, and he's just not quite Tiger, and he putted too much like me, and I think he missed the cut by one. By bogeying his last two holes. Man, the fact that he's even competing at this level really is... But you know what happened that will tarnish his reputation? He was playing with uh, Rory McIlroy. Do you know him? We saw him. Didn't we? When you took yeah, the, so yeah. I did take you to yes. Cherry Hills. Yes, yes. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, and in the BMW, and then he was playing right. with uh, Justin Thomas, who's fantastic, and he and Justin are good friends. Justin's from Alabama, and Tiger has a little good old boy in him. He's got a little of everything in him, including he was into porn stars for a while. There, have you ever thought about that? Porn stars? Yes. So what's your next question? And my next question is, what do you think when you're thinking about porn? No, I'm, I'm saying that it, it's like everybody wants to put that down, but the most popular person on earth, the guy who got me to finally spring free ESPN Plus, 
He slept with porn stars. The other guy who slept with a porn star got elected president of the United States. So what's wrong with America? I'll tell you what happened is Tiger was zetsing the ball, especially the first round when he's a little loose because he works out. He's 47. These guys are a lot younger. Rory's little, but he pounds the ball, Mm -hmm. and Justin can crush it. Mm -hmm. But Tiger kept outdriving them by a little yesterday, and it's kind of a manly thing, and you can get a little macho, so... Say a guy leaves a putt short, I'm not proud of it, but you might hear, uh, you know, does your husband play or something like that. Right. Or a nice putt, surely. Yeah. And (laughs) and, But Tiger took it to another level when he outdrove Justin again, walking off the 19th. He reached into his pocket and he handed to him something that cracked Justin Thomas up. And so with modern photography, they figured out what it was. You want to know what it was? Sure. A tampon. (laughs) At least he laughed. I know, but a lot of people aren't laughing about this out there now. Yeah. Like women, for example. Yes. Women golfers, especially the pros. Well, it was interesting because on ESPN Plus, there's a woman fawning over them the whole round of broadcaster. I didn't catch her name. And uh, she didn't seem to be bothered by it. And it kind of goes with that porn star thing. Some people can get away with it, but Tiger, let's see what the fallout is from. My question is, what was he doing? What what did he have a tampon in his pocket for? Uh, He probably anticipated out driving Justin (laughs) Thomas. He he could see on the range he was going good. He just wondered, you tell your caddy, hey, go get me a tampon. (laughs) No, I, I don't know. And, but we will be talking about this for a while. And it would have been funnier if he didn't miss the cut. Right. But And toward the end, they said, well, it was just a couple of mental mistakes. Yeah, like giving him a tampon on national TV and you thought nobody would see you. There was gazillions of people, everybody with their cell phone. Wow. They pay a fortune to go to Riviera. God, yeah. I wish I was there. And instead of just watching, they take out their cell phone. Yeah. When they, they you know. I would submit that there's very little to tarnish in Tiger Woods' career, given his past. Craig, what does he have to protect at this point, right? I know. I mean, you know, the scandals are behind him. Something like this, I think, would be uh, water off a duck. So, Right. So you are into sports because for once you watched a game, maybe even the whole game with your Spelkas, your ADHD, watched the Super Bowl, you liked it? I did. It was great. How would you have liked if I ruined it and I said Mahomes, Kelsey? Let it go, Craig. Let it go. I know. What a player, though, that Mahomes, huh? Oh, he's it's a winner. It, it, was really, it was really a great game. The, the only thing that lacked a little bit was the very ending, right? Yes. But, but it was so strong. I mean, the players were so strong on both sides. It was an excellent game. And they moved it along nicely, too. The whole just. Well, there were so many reviews. How many mistakes were made in football before we could have those? Particle by particle reviews. Yeah. A lot of mistakes were made. Oh, well. Still, good entertainment. How could you not bet on the Super Bowl? I had Kansas City, so I like that bad call. But, oh, right. Uh, have you ever bet on a sports contest? No, but you never know. Maybe it could well, be in my why future. why not? I don't think about betting. That's okay, all. I, next walk, I'm going to take 20 bucks. We're going to bet it on the Nuggets, whoever they play next after All-Star break. 
Mike Malone gets to coach because we have the best record in the West. We're the number one seed. We're not going to lose it. It's a big year. I'm thinking about basketball. You know why? Right after I record my show, it's big alumni weekend for CC men's basketball hoopsters. Prior guest Adam Mares and I were talking about it. I think I'm headed down to watch the Tigers. I think they played St. Joseph tonight, ranked number 12 in the country, small college ball. Wow. So it's basketball season, my friend. Are you psyched? Well, I I find it hard watching basketball, but when the playoffs come along, I got to say it is really exciting. But, you know, you as my friend, you know, you you, you open my eyes to some well, of these things that I'm missing, you know. These are my passions. Of Golf, course. basketball, and baseball. Have you heard what they're doing with baseball this time around? What do you mean? They're changing rules. What are they doing? Expanding the base size. You know why? To avoid mm. people coming together so much. Too many leg injuries. Oh. But it's kind of, you can only make a couple of pickoff moves. You have to throw the ball within 15 seconds. It's like football now where there's a shot clock or a, a play clock. You mean the, the pitcher only has so yes, much time to deliver yes, the pitch? Yes, once he gets the ball back. No more scratching your nuts and spitting everywhere mm-hmm. and tightening your glove. Everybody's got to play because it's too damn slow. Right. So they Maybe want they should to just make it like up. seven innings instead of nine. Well, they've done that for double headers now. They just changed that last oh, really? year because it was too long. Yeah, you got to keep up. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let me tell you what's going to change and change everything. Apropos of Kwame Spearman coming up, I think he might be the youngest candidate. He's 39 years old. Oh, to be 39 again. If you could pick one age to be, what age would it be? 69. Ah, living in the present. Living in the present, that's what it's about. I was just reading about Joe Biden. You know how old he was when he ran for Senate? 29. He was 29. City council. He turned 30 just before. Yeah, he had to be 30, right? Yeah. But he ran. He actually got elected when he was 29, but he could because he was sworn in, he was 30. All right, so here's here's something we could bet on. Is Joe Biden going to run again? Yes. Okay. I happen to think it yes, too. Okay. So let me uh, say this, that maybe within the next 10 years and all these advances, I think there will be a cure for cancer, a cure for all sorts of things, hopefully a cure for Alzheimer's, and a cure for aging that will stop you from getting past 69. I just want a cure for Alzheimer's. Because it's looking down from 69. You just want to cure for what? Alzheimer's. Well, that's... Dementia yes. of all sorts. Yes. Yeah. Did I, you hear who got diagnosed with it, Bat? No. Bruce Willis. Oh. Wasn't that some time ago? He couldn't talk for a while, but now they say his brain is... Oh. It's horrible. They're calling it dementia. Oh, it's awful. Horrible. Yeah. But what if we could turn it around? Not only stop aging, but reverse aging. What a thing, huh? It'd be a mistake, Craig. To stop aging? No. Yes, to stop and reverse aging. Either one would be a mistake. Looking at it from looking up, right? Because we got to make room for the next generations to come, right? We've lived our lives. It's, it's the rules. What about I think the we whole have to, universes out there? I don't think these are rules that should change. This is, okay. this is good. This is good. We, we get old. You live your life. Hopefully, you live a, well, a well-lived life. And then, and then it's time to move on. All right, old timer. You know how you make me feel? Young. 
You make me feel brand new. That's because I'm your elder. You are my elder. I respect you so much. I respect your music. I respect Kwame Spearman for coming and giving a great interview. Next, you get to hear the musical stylings of Dave Gunders. Looking down is the song. Enjoy Kwame Spearman. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Look around. 
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887, or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig. 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Kwame Spearman, I am so happy you came to my house. My dogs have given you their seal of approval. Thanks for doing my podcast. Thank you for having me, and you have two beautiful dogs. Thank you. They're well-behaved now. If they bark, we will edit that out or watch a podcast without some dog barking. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, I hear you're familiar with podcasting and that you were actually uh, able to listen to my interview with Mayor Pena. Is that right? I had the privilege of interviewing Mayor Pena to talk about his latest book, his autobiography, Not Bad for a Boy from South, South Texas. And I was so nervous ahead of the interview, and, and I, I scoured the internet to get well-versed on it, and your podcast was amazing. It was, it, it was, it was so insightful, so thoughtful. I'm not going to lie. I may have, have borrowed a few questions, and it was a really great interview. He's, That's all right. Joe Biden did that sort of thing, and he's president now. So what's the difference? There you Melania go. Melania Trump, too. You know, <laughs> exactly. Everybody copies, steals. And honestly, when it comes to Denver mayor's races, Federico Pena is so important in my life because he beat my boss, Dale Tooley, who always wanted to be Denver mayor. And now I have all the major contenders for Denver mayor coming through my home studio, and I'm thrilled about that. I've had the honor of knowing Mayor Pena, Mayor Webb. All the mayors of Denver, Michael Hancock, I got to moderate a debate between him and Chris Romer. So it's really an important job. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it is the most important political job in the state of Colorado. And, you know, Mayor Pena is such a good example because I think for the most important job in the state of Colorado, this is the most consequential race since 1983, where we've got to decide as a city which direction we're going to go. And so I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, Craig. 
so much power, so many departments, and you even get to appoint your own judges. We'll get to all of that, but you are a Denver native. You play that up. So do I. I I mean, there aren't that many of us. We kind of have to, right? Well, I guess we don't have to. We want to. It's a prideful thing. I know, but is it a qualification to be mayor? No, it is not a qualification to be mayor. Is it a bonus, though? You know, one of the things I like to tell people is you have to look at the holistic package of the candidate. And yes, I think it's definitely a plus to have someone that can say, I I know where Denver was, and I I understand where it's going, and and I'm going to be here for that. And that allows you to have, I think, helpful critiques on what the future of our city looks like. Right. When people say crime has never been this bad, well, I was here for the summer of violence. 93? Yes. And the years leading up to it were no picnic either. Agreed. Tell us where you grew up exactly. So I grew up in Montclair. I always like to tell people right on the border of Montclair and Hilltop. Uh, I was born at Rose Hospital. Now, are you talking about the 6th and Monaco location? Around there, yes. Okay, so... That's interesting because that could be Hilltop. It's near Crestmore. It's near Montclair. Right. And that's where, depending on who you speak with, you can give sort of a different interpretation of it. And what's funny about those neighborhoods, I hope we're going to talk a lot about neighborhoods today, but they all have slightly different connotations as to sort of how you're... Yeah, like the difference between Montclair and East Montclair. Correct. Correct. Exactly. And so I, I, I grew up uh, around there. I, I preference Montclair and primarily because I went to Montclair Elementary. And so it's a source of pride. But I've for heard me. you say Hilltop too, haven't I? I, you know, you you ride your bike through a lot of neighborhoods. And you probably rode through my uh, junior high. That's what we Did used you go to, to Hill? Of course I went to Hill. I, I, so I'm a smiley person. That's interesting. I played a ton of Lawyers League basketball at Smiley. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. What a beautiful building, right? I mainly was in the gym. My mom went to Smiley. My mom went to East. My dad went to West. Tell me about your lineage. How far do you go back in Denver? Uh, About 50 years. Okay. Tell me. So my father um, went to the University of Texas. and What's his name? His name is William Spearman. Is he still alive? He is. Great. Alive and kicking. And, you know, his journey to Colorado is super interesting. You know, if he was a few years older, he would not have been allowed to attend the University of Texas due to segregation. And Because while, he's a black man? Because he's a black man. And, and while he was there, you know, he dedicated his four years to really doing two things. One, he was an old school IT guy, so a computer programmer, but also fight, you know, fighting the civil rights battles that were occurring on the campus at the time. So if you, if you come to our home, you know, there are these crazy uh, plaques and photos of him fighting for equality. And, and what's great, Craig? Well, what's sad and what's great about it at the time, you know, th- this was incredibly hard on him and his family. In fact, my grandmother was fired from her job as a public school teacher because of my dad's involvement in protests at the University of Texas. So that's the incredibly sad element of it. The the positive is, you know, over the past 20 years in particular, the University of Texas has really, really tried to um, reconcile uh, their, their difficult path. And they've awarded and honored people like my father who were on the right side of history and uh, you know they're trying to do better about it. So, so when you when you come to our home, you've got all those plaques. 
But in any event, my dad came to Colorado. And I, like many Texans, but I think what was so interesting for him is one, you know, the tech scene between Boulder and Denver was exploding at the time. And this was a state where he could get a fair chance. How old was he when he came here? Uh, 23. Okay. Right out of Texas? Exactly. Right right out of the By the way, go Longhorns. My niece, my niece was on the paid staff of that NCAA championship volleyball team. Women's volleyball. Congratulations. Champs. That's amazing. Huck Morns. Yeah. Anyway, keep so, going. So he, he came here for our tech sector and just fell in love with the state. I, you know, it's, it's, it's what we all know about Colorado. It's this hidden gem where, you know, days like today, where we're, what, 48 hours after a snowstorm and it's 60 degrees, that type of lifestyle was incredible. I mean, I like it a lot, but Austin wasn't bad. Dell Computers, did your dad just want to get out of Texas? I, I think that, you know, Texas was not as friendly to people of color uh, during that period as Colorado was. Uh potentially still the situation. And I think the ability to come to a state like Colorado, um, the ability to move to a neighborhood and own a home in a neighborhood like Montclair, just to be honest, those opportunities were not available in Texas. And so I'm, when people ask me why I have such Denver pride, it's because I know the privilege that I've had because of how our state accepted my family even before I was born. So my dad owned these duplexes and triplexes in North Park Hill. And my uncle- Where about? Uh, around 33rd and Jasmine, right? Okay, so near in, the Holly. Near the Holly. Terrence Roberts running. Exactly. I, I played, well, I, I ended up playing every Sunday at Park Hill, but my dad, I'd go caddy since I was five, walk around Park Hill. We'd always drive by the Holly, by the Dahlia. My uncle Nate- a blessed memory. He owned the Dahlia for a while there. He Did was he really? one of the owners. Yeah. I, I just, and this is why, you know what? This is why you have to have a Denver native as the next mayor because these stories, I mean, we could do this for hours. And don't you think the residents of Denver want that? Maybe. I mean, I could tell Park Hill stories forever, and we will get to Denver golf, because, you know, if you are married, you're going to be in charge of some beautiful golf courses. I I agree. You know, it's funny. My dad has stories, actually, of going to Park Hill golf course as well, and, you know, maybe shooting at ferrets or other animals in the Park Hill golf course back in the day. And so I I think he's probably a little bit older than you are, but... No, I doubt it. I bet he didn't see the old uh, Park Hill where they had... Uh, number 12 went down to the train tracks. Number four went along the train tracks. And then Pat Schroeder had an idea they were going to move the mint there. And they reconfigured the course and kind of wrecked it. But that's before your dad got here. And you know I go crazy? way the hell back with Park Hill. Well, there, it, it's, what's crazy to me is that there is increasingly a generation in the state that doesn't know who Pat Schroeder was. Isn't that crazy? Well, I mean, she was congressperson for so long. Now, Diana DeGad, who I went to Colorado College with, she's surpassed that. But yeah, Pat Schroeder ran for president for a bit. And when she gave it up, it was at Civic Center Park. I was there on my lunch break. And she did cry. I mean, she didn't just cry a little. It was like, oh, my God, this uncomfortable kind of crying. My brother and I were there. Keep going. 
Well, I, I, it, it's so funny. Um, so my dad owned these duplexes and triplexes. Yeah, a savvy, at his time, real estate person. Where he, you know, the neighborhood was changing, and he bought uh, duplexes and triplexes, and he rented them out. And my uncle uh, went to the University of Colorado for law school. Nice, my favorite law school. I went there. Do you know what they say about the difference between? CU Law graduates and DU Law graduates? I do not. We all got into DU. I love that. All right. And you would know about that because you have an elite education. We're going to get to that. But first, we got to get some information about your mother. So your dad met your mother through his brother, who is a lawyer? Exactly. So my mom's brother, um, and he was a founding member of the Sam Carey Bar Association. Bar Association. With Gary Jackson, Norm Early, and those exactly. Fellas. Yes. 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 And so his name is Fred Charleston, and you know, so he was renting from my dad, right? And my mom was visiting him, and you know, as the story goes, I guess my dad went to go pick up a rent check from my uncle and i don't know if my uncle didn't have the check or maybe wanted to pay a little bit later but somehow he introduced my mom to my dad and the rest is kind of history yeah you and how many siblings i have two sisters um one is older one is younger and your mom what's her name and is she still alive janice spearman and she is still alive how involved are they or not in your campaign it's so funny you say that. So my dad is a diehard politico. You know, he was a, a precinct captain at some point. You know, we, I remember growing up, we would hold caucuses at our home. Um, and so he, he is, he's into it, you know, after a debate or if he sees something, he's calling me with critiques and pointers. I think my mom is a little less into politicians to be general, to be honest with you. I think she was incredibly happy when her son was a bookseller. And now, you know, my journey into being a politician, I think she she's obviously incredibly supportive, but you know, I think she's I think she's a little skeptical of politicians. Where did you go to uh get your primary education? So I as from a college perspective No, not from uh did you go to Denver Public Schools? Oh, I am I am the most proud Denver Public School graduate you're gonna find, correct? Prouder than me? I we can we can we can play a pride off each other All right. game. I went to Ellis. Oh, I went to Montclair Elementary. I went to Fallis as well. What? I, what's what's Fallis? I'm sorry, don't get nasty. F A L L I S. Edwina Fallis. It was at Virginia and Oneida. Blessed memory. One of the Denver public schools that got closed, but it was right near George Washington High School where okay. I went. Okay. Well, I after mean, after I oh finished boy. Hill Junior High. Oh boy. I, I. So it's like I thought we had a connection. And then you said you went to George Washington. I don't feel the connection anymore. Why? Because you went to TJ or what? I, I, no, I went to East. Why East? My mom went to East. Well, we pounded East so bad in basketball, it really wasn't a challenge for us. That's Neither was TJ. Manuel, now they were challenging. Ma- Man- Manuel is is uh, a strong school. No, so I, I went no, to- East is great, too. And you know, when I was a senior, Joe Barry Carroll was a sophomore. He ended up oh, playing yeah. for the Golden State Warriors. And no. Michael Ray Richardson was a senior along with me at Manuel. And he ended up being all pro in the NBA. So there you go. Denver, Denver Pride, what, did you play any sport? So I can say yes. I was not good 
at any sports. I, I played tennis. Uh, I played soccer. You know, I played flag football at Smiley. You know, it was interesting. We, um, I was a part of the first class of the flag football program that Denver Public Schools does as part of their after-school activities. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, I think it was like 97 or maybe 96, and we had the press conference in the Smiley Gymnasium. It was super cool. And and it's something that, from my understanding, is still going on. Nice. And it, and it was a wonderful program, and it was trying to give youths something to do that was productive after school. You stay in great shape. How do you do it? I love swimming. Oh, boy. Love swimming. That's and you know what's work great? Out. It's a stress reliever. One of the things I can tell you that, like, it, it, whether you're running for office or, you know, being a small business owner, managing your stress is one of the most important things you can do. And swimming is this serene opportunity where it's like you, the water, your thoughts. So if I can do that for 50, 55 minutes, that's amazing. Would you ever buy one of those uh, earbuds that work in the water? Do you ever do that? So conceptually, I can't get behind having electricity next to my ears in water. I can't either. But I think I would try it if it was safe. I Somebody don't know. taught me how to do it so I don't kill myself. It's always safe until it's not, though. I right? swim so slow, though. I mean, it's great exercise. It's great exercise. Right. I don't swim fast either, so we can be aligned on that. Exactly. You're in an up competition. Tell us about your educational competition, because all the schools you went to are the ones that most people never got into, even those of us who went to CU Law School. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I do. So for high school, I I was at East, and I got to be honest with you, Craig, what I'm so fond about East High School, and, and part of it is because... I had the opportunity to interact with students who pushed for educational excellence. And in many ways, it changed the trajectory that I was on. And, you know, I... I, Were you part of that constitutional scholar program? I was. I was con law. Yeah. You know, the final day, small story, uh, I was on uh, panel four. And we are so our our team finished second in the nation, but our panel got you guys a had score. A, had a great reputation. I just remember being on the radio, and we would occasionally feature how great. What did you win national championships? Exactly stuff like that. Exactly. And you know what was so amazing about constitutional scholars, Craig? What that class taught you was two really important points that, that I think are so relevant to today's political scene. Point number one, we have the greatest democracy that the world has ever seen. Undisputedly true. It is a beautiful work of art. But the second point was, the reason why we have the greatest democracy that the world has ever seen is because our democracy begs for critique. And 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 you are actually respecting our democracy by critiquing it. And that's beautiful. Imagine learning that at 16. It's it's wonderful. The, the other thing I learned at East was through speech and debate. Think about how you're a good debater. You have a resolution, and you have to say what's great about that resolution. And then for another 30-minute session, you have to say what's bad about that resolution. Imagine if on our political scene right now, we had people who were comfortable saying, you know, <laughs> 
I see some pros and cons here, right? What we have is, no, 100%. This is my point of view. If you don't agree with me, you're not a great person. And then and we, that leads to polarization. But what East was able to teach through student clubs, through the, the diversity of the school, through just amazing teachers, was that life is complex. And we're all in it together. And, and we've got to be one. Let me ask you, uh, I bet that, did you guys win the national championship? We were second. Still, I bet that helped you when you applied to go to college. Oh, sure, right. So for so Where I did got, you go to college? I got on a you know I I became really obsessed with academics, and so I was able to go to Columbia University in the city Ivy of New League. York. It's an Ivy League school. I loved it. I loved it. I got to be honest with you. I, I got off the plane, and the energy of New York City, the 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 the, the people there. And what Columbia is so great at is it actually has a college campus. So you're able to go into the city when you want to. And so it's a really good immersion for someone from Denver going into New York City to have a college campus that you can sleep in and that you can play in the city when you want to. That's fascinating. My first year, I went to East Orange, New Jersey to play basketball at Upsala College, and I got to go into New York City all the time, but not live there. I was going to say, I could make a Jersey joke, but uh, you I don't Feel want to. free, because no, I course. left after a year. Everybody said, you're from Colorado. What are you doing out here? And by the end of the year, realizing I was more likely going to be a lawyer than a basketball player, I said, what am I doing out here? And I've never lived anywhere uh, but the front range since. Boulder, Colorado Springs, but mainly Denver. But you went from Columbia to where? I went to Yale for law school. Holy cow. So at Columbia, I was um, president of my class and got very into politics. Um, it's actually funny. I, I had an internship at CBS4 my freshman year, uh, the summer in between my freshman and sophomore year. And I loved it. I loved journalism. And, and I realized I didn't have a journalism face. <laughs> and so I started taking what... The things I liked about journalism, which is you've got to cover different topics and issues, you know, things are happening incredibly fast. And in many ways, like politics have a similar vibe to that. And so I got very involved with student government um, in in college. And, you know, the traditional path is if you're doing that type of things, you go to law school. And Yale Law School was amazing. It's, you know, the class sizes are super small. It's about 180 people. No, oh, I don't know because I didn't get into Yale. I mean, see, you probably didn't even apply. You no, but I applied there. to Harvard. It's cousin, and that was close enough to get rejected. But that's okay. You got in, and I'm sitting with you, so that's pretty good. Yeah, there you go. And you know, I, it it really the cool thing about Yale Law School is that it, a lot of it is just uh, asking really large academic questions and having three years, you know, debating those and and talking about the meaning of life and all of the other things that are involved with that. I had a blast and and it allowed me to get an opportunity where I worked on uh, then Congressman, soon to be Senator Udall's 2008 election campaign. I was his deputy press secretary. Really? And I always make jokes around this because what was happening at Yale Law School is it, we were in the middle of the Democratic primary. And because we were in the middle of the Democratic primary, there were so many students who were going and working on either Hillary's campaign, the Edwards campaign, and then for the smart ones, they were working on the Obama campaign. And so that 
taught me how to work and be effective on a campaign uh, while in law school. And I was able to leverage that to then go work on Senator Udall's campaign uh, in 2008. And Craig, it was so amazing to, having grown up in Colorado, you know, Denver and Boulder were always blue. And the rest of the state was red. And it was so fascinating watching the evolution of Colorado, you know, really embrace our purple status of sort of being these rugged Westerners and the ability for our state to really latch on to hope. It, it was it was amazing. It was, it was something that definitely hasn't been replicated. And it you just sort of feel like it was one of those generational moments, you know? Well, I still uh, am stuck on you at Yale Law School. I bet you met some amazing people. Is there some name dropping? People who are working in administrations we might have heard of? Uh, sure. You know, it's, it's actually really funny. The, the name that keeps coming up because we talk a lot about um, crime right now is Chesa Boudin, mm-hmm. who is the uh, now recalled district attorney for uh, San Francisco. He was a classmate of mine. Ronan Farrow is a good friend of mine. Um, went into journalism. Went into journalism. Um, you know, the, the, the great thing about YLS is, you know, you just know people as people. Right. So it's like after this podcast, I get to be like, oh, no, Craig Silverbrand, of course. Right. He's just a normal person. And, and you're in this environment and people are people. Well, geez, my classmate was governor of Colorado and my boss, Bill Ritter. Who, who have been your bosses? Mark Udall is one. Mark Udall was 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 definitely, I think, my most inspirational boss. You know, so after business school, I worked in management consulting. And so for, for Bain & Company. Heard of them. Aren't those, <laughs> didn't they have money in a picture that I saw, Mitt Romney, all those fellas? Yes, 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 yes. And we, there have been some other governors just elected. Deval Patrick was Bain. Uh, yes. Uh, wait, was Deval actually Bain? He may not have been Bain. He actually went to Bain after he was governor. But yeah, you know, it, the, the management consulting role, it's funny about bosses, you have a lot of bosses. You have a lot of shareholders. It's actually really good for politics because you learn how to manage up in the same way that you're going to have to with a lot of different constituencies because you have so many different types of personalities and and, and people involved. Um, and then after that, uh, I worked for a company called Be Good, which was awesome. It was a, it was a salad and 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 hamburger, and I had two. Found it's a hamburger place. Salad and hamburgers. Yeah. Salad. Okay. Based in based out of Boston, and I, I have a client, Darian Simon, who's been featured on my show, victim of a terrible crime in Denver, but he helped start the Be a Good Person brand. But this is something completely different. Not clothing. This is well. It was food. It was, it was interesting because you know I I worked in management consulting for about five years and. I loved the training, Craig. I, really learning the X's and O's of businesses was amazing. But I'm a believer that you can use your business knowledge and understanding to accomplish really good things. And so what Be Good was trying to do was be a triple bottom line company. What I mean by that is they cared um, about profits, the environment, and people. And so we were selling, you know, food, but 
the food was, and this shows how far the industry's come, but the food was sustainably sourced um, from local farmers. Um, we had staff that, you know, we would try to um, bring on people who, you know, were harder to hire. And we worked in sort of sustainable ways with sort of how we thought about our day-to-day policies. And and we strove to make a profit. Was it a pump? Publicly traded corporation? No, no. Pri- pri- private, private organization. And wh- that was actually what was so cool about it is when I joined, I think we had about eight, eight units, eight mm-hmm. stores, and we grew to about 60, which is awesome. So I was able to travel all across um, the East Coast opening these stores, and you learn so much about different communities and different uh, styles and just how to work at a really, really fast pace. Was Mitt Romney there when you were? He was not. He was um, running for president. Do you remember when he was running for president? I think in Iowa he made this statement with, I think, hay behind him, that corporations are people too. Yes, I do remember that. Is that true? I mean, you're kind of making no. that argument. When I took corporations in law school, and I've never I've focused on the area, but isn't there a fiduciary obligation to make a profit for your shareholders? And isn't that pretty much it? 100%. And that is very different, though, than than thinking corporations are people. Um, you've got to keep businesses alive. And I think that that is something that can frequently get lost in that, you know, if the business isn't making a profit or at least breaking even, you can't pay your employees. You can't pay bills and the business subsequently dies. Right. Um, but no, I don't I don't uh, agree with Senator Romney on the corporations or people point. Interesting stuff. I, I heard uh, Kelly Brupp, who's been a guest on my show, take some heat at that debate last night. We are recording late Friday afternoon, and Kwame Spearman was part of a spirited debate on Nine News. It was put on by people participating in the Fair Election Fund. How do you think these debates are going? I think they're going super well, and I have so much respect for the host of these debates. I mean, you know, last week we had one at Regis University and Dominic D'Souza, who he he managed to have a really good debate with 16 people. I mean, you got to start seeing differences amongst the candidates, which is incredibly hard to do. Last night, um, the Nine News team I thought was also amazing. And they had 13. So I think a lot of people were concerned that this many candidates would create an overwhelming sense. But I think if you look at the debates, particularly last night's, I think there were a lot of differences among the candidates. Absolutely. I found it very enlightening. Great job by Dominic. I texted him. I should to Marshall and Kyle and Anusha, who I don't know that well, but she was good. And they were organized and they controlled you guys, but you control a lot of things about yourself. And I'm just curious. I wrote a column. I don't know if you saw it. I had Chris Hansen in my studio and he's worn a necktie both debates. I don't think you did the first debate. And last night you had a different look. Uh, How do you decide on what you're going to wear for these debates? That is such a good question um, because I am not incredibly fashionable. And so I, I think you're striving this, what is comfortable to you, because you've got to be in a good headspace 
what respects the position you're going for and what does your team tell you looks good on you, right? I, I think that's the, those are the factors that you're thinking through. Um, and for me, you know, it was, uh, last night was black pants, a jacket and a, uh, a blue button down, which I, you know, I thought I looked okay. But it, it, it was, you couldn't see the collar. I don't know. If I know, that, but you don't know that, these things until you, well, I know you need someone in the audience, like kind of, you know, well, that's all right. It's, it's quirky. It's different. And <laughs> everybody has their style, but I notice everything I know it's tough to run for office. There are so many challenges. You got into it a little bit. Kyle Clark challenged you on some numbers, and you went after uh, Leslie Herod, who's going to be a guest on my show upcoming. I'm trying to find the strategy, and it must be tough for you guys to figure out who's my main opponent, how does this look. There's never been anything like this, but you have a Yale Law and uh, Ivy League education. Can you figure out? how this works and uh, what's your strategy? I, I think my strategy is authenticity. Um, the two things the next mayor is going to have to be able to do, Craig, you're going to have to have a strong vision and you're going to have to surround yourself with amazing people. And if you can do those two things and be able to make tough decisions, I think you're going to be a fantastic mayor. And so for me, it's just displaying that to uh, the voters, you know, the strong vision. I want to be our neighborhood mayor, and, and I'm happy to. I could talk about that for for hours. But you are I, trying to brand yourself that way. But I'm still not sure what that means. The, so, what being a neighborhood mayor means is that at our core, our residents have to feel seen and be heard. And so, what we need to do is we need to start thinking about our city not just as a one size fits all solution but as separate entities, right? Because what that allows us to do is rethink about how city government operates. My my concern, Craig, is there are certain things that certain neighborhoods need. And when we don't acknowledge that, we just start saying vague things. For example, density, right? There are certain neighborhoods that are, are more accommodating to density based on either um, public transit op. Um, uh, options there or the need for um, to decrease rent or the need to stop gentrification. There are other neighborhoods that are less suited for that first wave of density. And, and we've got to understand that because what happens is when you don't acknowledge that, you get into this NIMBY argument, this YIMBY argument, and, and you lose the point. The point is, is that we, we need more housing in Denver right now. Do you feel that it's shaking right now? There's a little shaking. Anyway. Maybe it's the power of the neighborhood. Might be plan. an earthquake. But what about the sensitivity of certain neighborhoods? Like, uh, I would not expect to see a homeless encampment in Southmore, but I would in East Montclair. And I expect if there was one in Southmore, people would get upset. In fact, they're starting to sprout up along Hamden and whatnot. But. Can certain neighborhoods be feel more entitled than others? Is that no? And 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 that's uh, I think a a big misinterpretation of the neighborhood plan. Because l let's take a neighborhood. Uh, let's take Global Swansea, right, Valeria. You know, here's a neighborhood that you want to go into the neighborhood, 
and you want to understand from the residents what is like what are their thoughts and so take a perspective where the you're understanding their thoughts on three things let's say housing let's say safety right and let's say local economy and i haven't gone through the process of doing this in gsr but let's just or excuse me gse let, let let's start guessing based on sort of what what we've heard my guess is one of the biggest things on housing right would be gentrification and the fact that people are being forced out of that neighborhood okay from a safety perspective i think it would be a call for community policing because there is an uptick in violence right however there isn't a good necessarily foundation with denver police and then from a local economy it would be preserving the, the the cultural elements that have made that neighborhood so special and so unique. So now imagine getting those things into our city government and then having metrics and goals that ensure that we are helping that neighborhood. How crazy is that? Goals and accountability and, and metrics. And so where the tough decisions part comes in, and, and I think this is something that, quite frankly, separates me from all the other candidates, where the tough decisions comes in is, okay, we talked about housing. The fear is gentrification. Understood. How do you stop gentrification? You got to have density, right? Like, like that is very econ 101. Now, we've got a plan for density. Let's include the neighborhood in that plan. Let's have things like land trusts. Let's understand the right AMI for the density that we're putting in. Let's have an open conversation. But we know that if we don't densify and if we don't add housing, the people who are there aren't going to be able to live there much longer. So that to me is the beauty of the neighborhood plan is it allows you to specify what neighborhoods needs. It then creates accountability at the city level but it requires tough conversations. You know, I, I don't want you to think that every neighbor just says, hey, you know, we want lollipops delivered to our doors every Friday. And we're like, okay, well, there you go. You get your right. lollipops. No, no, it's tough. And it, it, it's pretty darn detailed. And people can really watch those debates because everybody's kind of agreed homelessness, big deal, and crime. Let's just touch on crime because that uh, 16-year-old a soccer player like you got shot in the head outside East High School, outside your tattered cover branch on East Colfax. Shocking. There was another crime right up the street downtown, 18th and Lincoln, at uh, DPS headquarters. What's going on with our young people? What's going on with crime? How could Kwame Spearman as mayor make a difference? So uh, I, I think the thing that is missing from this race is... All of these things are interconnected, right? Homelessness, affordability, crime, they're all connected, right? And there's certain trends that you see that are permeating through that put us in a situation where, where we are seeing upticks in crime, upticks in homelessness, um, and affordability problems. My belief, Craig, is that there are a few things that are off right now. Um, the first is let's start with the premise. The premise is that our residents deserve to live in safe neighborhoods. I think that is a reasonable. Yes. But I also think that right now, 
uh, our residents don't feel entirely safe in their neighborhoods. And there's, you know, both anecdotal and actual data points to sort of back that up. What I can tell you uh, as a small business owner, and I'm so thankful I haven't had to experience this as a citizen, but as a small business owner, when we are calling 911 right now, um, the police are either not showing up or when they show up, they tell us that they are not equipped to handle our concerns. Disaster. And what you are seeing is that mentality of petty, smaller crimes. We are not going to prosecute. We are not going to police. We are not going to really acknowledge. Well, when you create that type of an environment, my opinion is that you start allowing lawlessness. And like all things, that lawlessness starts creeping up. So what was, you know, just stealing a catalytic converter, which we've had five of those stolen at Tattered Cover, becomes stealing the vehicle, which becomes stealing a vehicle with someone in the vehicle and removing them, as we saw in Cherry Creek North. Right. And it just keeps escalating. And unfortunately, that is where we're headed in Denver right now. And what we desperately need is a mayor that can say, hey, it is possible for us to understand we've got to enforce the laws, but to monitor that we are getting equitable outcomes under those laws. You know, what what Representative Herod is just flat out off on is you've got to acknowledge that things are getting worse and not better, Right. If you don't acknowledge that, how are we going to have a productive conversation? I'll be the first to tell you that I think very critically about the application of the law. The reason why uh, Senator Hansen got hit so hard at the debate last night, if, if, if you watched, and I encourage everyone to watch the debate, but it's because there are more white, unhoused people on our streets in Denver than there are people of color. And yet, if you watch his video... I did. He only has people of color. Well, there were three or four, and some I couldn't tell what race they were. Well, sure. But the two people you could probably identify was a black man and a brown man. And, and, and Craig, that, that's... But, the but, but in defense of Chris Hansen... Sure. And I love Chris. I, I love Chris, by the way. But you have to hold people accountable... Isn't he in an interracial marriage, and aren't his uh, boys both uh, boys of color? 100%. Right. But. So I, I don't know. Everybody kind of piled on him. I'm not sure if it was fair or not. You thought it was fair? 100% fair, because here, here, here's what that ad was doing. Let's just call a spade a spade. That ad was trying to scare people about— the state of crime and homelessness. But would it Denver. have been okay if a white guy would have been featured? I personally would have been more comfortable with it if that's how he was. If if those were the cast of characters portrayed. What I said to Chris in the debate is that you know Chris went to MIT. Chris is an engineer, and the data that I've seen says sixty plus percent of our unhoused are white. And so you would hope that that representation would be clear in the video. And, and, and I do think that when we run as candidates, we have to hold ourselves accountable. What I was surprised is that when that was brought to light, 
it di- that didn't seem to click. <laughs> you mean for Chris? Correct. Yeah, but he's smart. He went to MIT. He and you, you guys have incredible education. So does Mike Johnston, who did a great interview with me. But uh, I think that everybody needs to kind of run their own race and Agreed. establish their own lane. And Chris Hansen seems to be uh, in his own lane. And maybe you're saying, hey, he started with an ad. Would you call the ad racist? I'm not going to go ahead and use the R word. All right, but it's controversial. So people were all against him last night. And in a race where you only have to come in second to get in the runoff, he seems to have surprising to me. I didn't know him that well. I figured he's a Denver Democrat. How conservative can he be? But he represents central Denver, where I used to live, GW area. And it turns out he is kind of conservative because when Kyle or Marshall said, let's see by a show of hands, who thinks Denver has an obligation to house its residents? And everybody but Chris Hansen raised his hand. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know that a community has to house its residents. That That's a little socialistic to me. Tell me how I'm wrong and how Chris Hansen's wrong. I think we've got to provide everyone a path to having a home. Well, of course, a path. We're going to give them free education. We're going to give them an opportunity. We're not going to let them be discriminated against when it comes to loans or rentals. But are we going to give them housing as a city? Well, I I think that, listen, I'm I'm not in favor of just giving someone housing. I I think that we, we have to provide a pathway to housing. And I think that's how most candidates interpreted that question. Isn't that called work? I mean, agreed. Right. Agreed. You might help them. 100%. And, and I think that's, you know, my, my point of view on the homeless and crime situation is that we've got to recognize that, that right now there are two types of people that we are dealing with in this situation. There are people who the system is failing. And those are the individuals that I think we have to provide resources and innovate to get them back into housing. But maybe some of these people are failing themselves. I think that we have, because we are not enforcing the laws, we've also become a magnet for people who are exploiting the system. But what about people who are just evil? I mean, there are some bad dudes out out there. Look at this guy who killed four at uh, the Idaho University. But... and. And I'm just saying they live amongst us. Oh, I listen, Craig. And I, it's not it's not our fault. They're I, sociopaths. I'm not disagreeing with that. And and I'm one of the few candidates, in fact, even bigger than uh Chris. We gotta enforce our laws. Well, I thought you weren't. See, that's the lane I sort of saw you occupying because every time crime comes up, you said, Damn it, a kid was shot right outside my store. Damn it, my Tattered cover vehicles keep getting ripped off and they're catalytic converters. I thought maybe you are the tough on crime I guy. I am the tough on crime it person. Looks like Chris Hansen was tougher last night. Well, I, I, I think, what's the best way to put this? I, I, I think that I'm pragmatic. And the thing that we need in Denver right now is a pragmatic mayor. Because a pragmatic mayor would say, hey, homelessness, out of control. Crime, out of control. We got to start applying our laws to get those things back. But a pragmatic mayor would also say, in applying our laws, I'm going to look and see how these laws are affecting our residents. And if you start seeing disparate impact amongst different types of individuals, 
then you also have to make some corrections. I think the concern that others had, Ian Tafoy, I think, voiced this well, is that that ad showed a blindness to that. And too frequently, the the face of poverty, the, the face of crime is a black or brown face. And that was something that 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 was, you know, not great, not great. And, and that's why I commented on that. But as far as the application of the laws and as far as why we have to be hard on our laws, that's still my lane because I'm the only candidate in the race that can tell you, look, when there's violence or crime or homelessness outside of a business, people don't go into that business. And if people don't go into that business, we can't pay our employees. Right. And so I, I think there's a ruthless pragmatism that I bring to this race that is unique. Right. But, but okay, enforce the law. 100%. Are there some candidates who are not in the right lane there who would make oh, it worse? Well, you who know, are they? I, I, listen, I, I think there are three lanes the way that I see it. Okay. I, I think there is an extremely progressive lane um, where I don't think there's any real uh, desire to enforce the laws. And where does that lane lead? I think to it, ruin? I think it leads to Portland. I think it okay. leads and to who, Seattle. who's riding in that lane? I think Lisa and Leslie are in that lane, firmly. Lisa Calderon, Leslie Harrod. Yeah. I think, you know, for example, they have no desire to enforce the camping ban or enforce sweeps or do other things that 85% of the public has said you should do. And I think that they're doing that because there is a uh, there's a progressive belief that I guess we don't know what's best for our city. Um, and they are speaking on behalf of the people who don't have voices. Totally understand that POV, uh, but it's not mine. I think there's a middle lane, which I think is the most problematic lane. Because, you know, with, with Lisa and Leslie, I can respect the ideology. Right, and I think you saw that. Where Lisa and I in the de- or in the debate last night, I I respect what she's saying. We can disagree on that. That's actually the beauty of democracy. The lane that I'm not impressed with is you know what Kelly's doing, which is what Mike Johnston's doing, which is this like I'm not really actually saying anything about the issue. You know, Mike's proposal of sort of micro homes. I don't know. <laughs> you know, first of all, I think his, his estimates of how many people are unhoused, I think he says 1,400. That's way off. It's There are many more, I think, by about 4x, if not 5x, unhoused people on our streets. So it's not it's not mathematically so correct. So Kelly and Mike are in the middle lane. Anybody else there with them? I think Debbie's in that lane as well. Um, Debbie is going to be here next week. Long time uh, City councilwoman. Yeah, where they're unwilling to either say, hey, we're not going to enforce laws because we think these laws are inequitable. But they're also not in the other lane, which is where I think Chris and I are firmly in, which is, no, no, we're going to enforce the laws because we've seen what happens when we don't. Um, and, and you know, so, so the middle lane to me, if you are trying to have an authentic conversation with the city and county of Denver, if you are trying to articulate a vision. The middle lane to me is very weird because it, it, it feels like one of those lanes where depending on who you're talking to, <laughs> you're going to give a different answer. And and that means there's no, um, there's no vision. There's no principles. Um, and you're just relying on policy bullets, which means the first day that you're in office, we're not going to know what to expect. And I find that problem. So the first day you're in office, you're going to find a police chief 
who's going to be like Rudy Giuliani, but without all the personal peccadillos? I don't know if they have to emulate Rudy Giuliani, but the police chief is going to have to do a few things. One, they're going to have to change the mentality of the police. And what I mean by that is we cannot have police officers that don't feel empowered to do their job. You got to say, what do you need to do your job? If it's we've got to expand the STAR program so that more, um, you know, there are more mental health providers in conjunction with the police, great. If we got to think about workforce housing that we need to build for our police officers so they live in the communities that they represent, if we need to think about the tools uh, that we're using to recruit police officers into different. Whatever the was answer it, is. Were you the one who was asked about qualified immunity? I was asked Kyle? about qualified immunity. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, I love Kyle Clark, but that is not I, – I feel I was slightly misrepresented on that. What I've said on qualified immunity is all options have to be on the table to get our police force back because they are noticeably absent right now. And qualified immunity is one of the things that if you talk to police officers – it has become a big deterrent that that is in a different place than where it used to be. And I understand that. As a lawyer, I can buy malpractice insurance. Correct. And As uh, a doctor, do. you can do the right. same thing. Exactly. As, so, as a professor, you can tenure at some point. An officer has to put his own fortune at risk. Correct. In the way that, that Kyle asked the question, it's like you're going to give them license to commit civil rights violations. It's a tough argument, but... The shocking thing about George Floyd, and you're a black man, uh, I mean, it, it, it was shocking to see Derek Chauvin on the man's neck with his knee until he, he died, essentially, but the three other officers just let it happen. Yeah, listen. The, and, and then, But you were talking about empowering police and that Scorpion unit in, uh, in, in Memphis felt pretty empowered when they brutalized Tyree Nichols, too empowered. And so, you know, maybe the middle road is the best road. So here's the thing. There has got to be accountability, right? Right. There is no one that would watch those horrific acts and think that that was in any way sanctioned by the police code of conduct, period, end of story. And, And if anyone was sanctioning that, they should be fired. So... We've got to establish that, and we've got to establish the fact that it happens. It does happen. Well, let's bring it closer to home. Cop fired his gun in Lodo. He thought a guy had a gun. Turns out he threw it away a second before. He shot, hurt civilians. Now he's being prosecuted. Is that the right call? I think that I was not on the grand jury. I was not part of the prosecution. Mm -hmm. So I want to be very wary about making statements that I don't have the full facts for. What I can tell you is that you have to enable police officers to do their job. And and while I I totally understand that you find yourself in situations in which, you know, maybe a civilian is shot at, someone is throwing away the gun, et cetera, et cetera. You have to look at the holistic picture as to what was happening what the police officers saw, and how they reacted. I loved it last night that every candidate said they favor the banning of assault weapons. You said America is a wonderful place because our Constitution works so well. I have my doubts occasionally. The Second Amendment, 
it almost feels like that suicide pact that Justice Jackson talked about. You probably studied it at Yale Law School. How can it be that all you different candidates in Denver and myself agree that assault weapons, these weapons have war, of war have no place in our society, yet they're still out there all over Colorado? We've got to keep fighting. Remember, the second point on our Constitution is it requires us to continue to critique it and to improve it. And this is an area that we need to improve. Uh, it is very obvious to you, me, the other mayoral candidates, many people in the city and county of Denver, that we are not interpreting the Second Amendment correctly. And, you know, we have a Supreme Court that disagrees with us on that. Yes. And and, and since Heller and Scalia's ruling, he died, but there are several to replace him. And now it seems hopeless to ever get that overturned unless we expand the court. Are you in favor of that? I'm not in favor of expanding the court, but but I do think that elections very much matter. And if you go back to 2016, there were a lot of people who uh, I think were very skeptical about Hillary Clinton and didn't really consider the alternative. And you got three Supreme Court justices during that period. Gosh, you're looking hard right at me, but I am so passionate because I'm among those who made a mistake not backing Hillary Clinton and thinking that Donald Trump might be. Did you vote for uh, no. in 2016? Whoa! But Colorado went blue anyway. So well, okay. no, it was it was uh, it, it was uh, Charlottesville affected me. I said, "There's a bad dude." And Craig, can I can I go back to sort of the the the, the Chris issue because I, did I, I you do know wanna... he was that bad of a dude? Just back to Trump, but we'll get back to Chris Hansen. That's sort of unfair, even though he wore he wore a long tie yesterday. Everybody noticed. Anyway, well, so I, I think the ability one thing that I'm so not cool with is this inability to acknowledge previous mistakes. We 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 just get so mad that if at one point you made a mistake that you are forever cast aside of doing anything great. I respect that you owned, that you voted for Donald Trump. And I also respect, I'm not saying I wouldn't respect you. If well, you I didn't wouldn't come... admit it, but I did it publicly. So I, I but, can't run but, away from it. But I own the fact that you're like, hey, that was not the right answer. It was a screw up. It was a screw up. And, and, and that is what I was hoping for Chris. <laughs> And, and I'm still hoping that for him is that he can say, hey, at the very least, I understand why people who have very different points of view feel this way about this ad and move forward on it. I didn't hear that last night. And I think that was the problem because leadership is what you just displayed. Well, but I don't want to conflate Donald Trump with Chris. Oh, I'm, and I, I don't right. want to do that. Either. Because I have come to the sad conclusion that Donald Trump he is a racist. He and, is. and Chris is not. Right. Chris is not. Right. And Chris knows he's not a racist I because his own family is biracial. Agreed. Okay, so I, I I'm kind of in that middle. I, I advertise that this is an island of independence here. I've always been stuck between Democrats and Republicans. When I ran against Bill Ritter, I was probably independent. I thought politics and prosecution are a very poor mix. And I think, well, I, I still believe that, but I'm very political now because I see an existential threat to our democracy, the kind of thing that you treasured and loved at East High School. And his name is Donald Trump, and he's far from gone. 
He's probably going to be the Republican nominee. And I want a Denver mayor willing to stand up to a guy like that. Are you that guy? 100%. How do I know? Uh, you didn't vote for him, but uh, did you protest not. him? I of mean, course, did, how yes. did you realize he was going to be so bad? When did you perceive that? Uh, when he started saying ridiculously offensive things about our Latino community. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said incredibly disrespectful things towards women, when he said incredibly disrespectful things towards journalists, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still frustrated at people that didn't see all of that in 2016. And, you know, an interesting story, you know, I, I was, I was on the fence between Hillary and Barack in 2008. And, you know, I I still believe that she would have been an absolutely amazing president. So because she went to Yale Law School, yeah, exactly. But 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 I think that you know the the Trump was a test to our democracy. But you know what, Craig? Still is. He, he still is. But you know what? I think our democracy is showing. I think it's showing positive signs. I think twenty twenty was incredibly positive. And I believe if he if he's the Republican nominee in 2024, that we are going to once again step up to the plate and ensure that he will not be our next president. What do you think it's done to our society? Have you lost friendships or family over this? No, because I, I, I try to assume positive intent for people. And I think one of the things that at least in 2016, Donald Trump did a very good job of underscoring is that Two things have happened. One, there there are segments of our population here that we have not made to feel like they're being listened to or heard. And that's true. I mean, if you look at what happened with globalization, um, there were there were there were swaths of our community um, that we didn't probably pay the right type of attention to, and there was anger there. I also think that. Donald Trump did a very good job of going after the establishment. And I got to tell you, someone who's not backed by the establishment in the Denver mayor's race, I get it, right? Like when people become entrenched, when people stop looking at races because of, you know, the candidate they like or, or the issues, but because it continues their existence, that's not great for democracy. And I think he was able to hit those two things incredibly well. And it's why he won in my opinion. Everybody likes the tattered cover. What a great reputation. I bet if you pulled Colorado businesses, it would be up there. But you probably know that because you bought the company. You said your mom was proud of you being a bookseller. But how did you get into that game? Was it an investment, a lifelong passion? How long have you owned the tattered cover? And what is that all about? Great question. So um, along with another Denver native, I purchased the tattered cover in 2020. Um, in the middle of the pandemic. And no, I, I never had any um, uh, uh, long-term uh, view of buying a bookstore when I was growing up. I, I will say that the fourth story was where I would go to if I was ever having a meal paid for by someone else or I was ever celebrating anything. You know, what happened, Craig, is, is I think Let's go back to 2020. Let's think about all the things that were happening during the summer of 2020. And what I realized is that I had lived an incredibly privileged life. And I go back to, you know, what my 
dad had experienced, you know, from my mom, you know, her work as a public school teacher and just other people, how they were impacting and influencing their communities. And it just was one of those introspective moments where I, I wasn't doing that. And the tattered cover was headed towards, um, you know, uh, was headed towards bankruptcy. And I knew that there was an opportunity to save a beloved Denver institution. I knew there was significance of a black male doing it. And I knew that I, I at least I, I believed that I had the business chops to do all of this. And those three things were incredibly uh, inspiring to me. And most importantly, it allowed me to move back home. Where were you living before that? Uh, in the So for most of... Uh, the year I was doing what most people were doing during the pandemic, which was living uh, in random places, but New York City was was home. I was a New York City tax-paying resident, as I tell people. And so you moved back in 2020? 2020. Well, it's better, I would think, the pandemic in Colorado than in New York City. Well, it's actually funny that you say that. So I uh, was looking to buy a house, and so I may have been living in my parents' basement for a lot of 2020, and so <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if New York City was was worse than a parents' basement, but maybe. So, are you a single man? I am single, yes. And uh, I guess there might be a precedent for that. Federico Pena was probably single. He when was he single when got he was. Elected, he was. Right. Yep. Then he married Ellen Hart Pena. And so, yeah, that would be interesting. You would you uh, have an active social life as a mayor? I, you know, I think you have to have a social life as anyone. Um, I think it's, you know, one of the things that I've realized with Tattered Cover is stress management, so important. Swimming, you know, interacting with people, all of those things help you make better decisions when you're in your role. And so 100%. Also, I love the people of Denver. So how could you not be involved and interact with those people as their mayor. What part of town have you chosen to live in? I'm in Whittier now. But I, I want to say this. I would totally move in to the mayor's residence. Is that still at the Shangri-La, Bill Daniels' house? Of course. Oh, that... Would that I, be amazing? Oh, I don't know why somebody doesn't move in. And I, I will be the candidate to, to do that. You got a free membership at Denver Country Club. At least that's what I heard back in the day. Denver Country Club and Denver Athletic Club, which, right. I, which I'm and currently we, a member of now. And okay. so it, to have a free membership there would be amazing. Do you know who integrated the Denver Athletic Club? Who? Gary Jackson, part of the Sam Carey Bar. Marshall Fogel is a Jewish fellow. They were both deputy DAs together in the Denver DA's oh, office. I, yeah, I know Gary Jackson. That's amazing. Yes. They will tell him that. Yes. Gary Jackson, presiding judge for the Denver County Court. She will have a big role in doing that sort of thing. Just give me a little Denver color. Where do you like to eat? I'll tell you what used to be my favorite place was Racine's. Well, that's political. Man, I used to wait for every jury verdict there. And when I ran for Denver DA, I waited for the election there and I lost and I never ate there again. Now it's closed. But yeah, David Racine, I, I watched that go up and two locations. My nephew worked there. What a great spot. It's gone. Wh what about now? Where do you go? I, I love the burger of the Cherry Cricket, which is absolutely. The Hick and Looper special. You know, I um, I, I'm trying to be as healthy as I can, so I, I frequent all the places that you can get good salads, sweet cream, which is not local business. So you but won't do fast food. 
It's not that I won't do fast food. You, but don't, you, you stay in good shape. I, you, right. you know, you got to try. That's the, that's they the teach point. you that at Yale Law School. <laughs> oh, man, you've been so generous with your time, and we have so many things in common. My mom had a store called the Three Mavens in North Cherry Creek. Really? I remember when the tattered cover started. And my best tattered cover story, I was working downtown in Lodo, so I would frequently go to the downtown tattered cover. One day I saw a huge line in the morning forming around it. I said, what's up? They said, a senator is coming, Barack Obama. He's got a book, The Audacity of Hope. So I went to the front of the line. I had a press pass because I was doing a daily radio show. And they said, come right with me. And they set me right in front of where he was going to be giving his talk. I watched him do that. And then I bought a book, and I sat like two seats away from him as everybody came through. And I watched people project their hopes and dreams on him. And then at the end, when he thought he was done, I said, "Uh, sir, could I get your autograph? And he did it. I think he wanted to smoke a cigarette. In fact, he smoked one right out there in the alley. He he was a cigarette smoker. But uh, that's part of the history of the tattered cover. I mean, so many amazing people have come through, and so many people like me have great memories of being there. Do you think that's uh, one of the ways you're going to win? You know, I I think that the ability to see that Tattered Cover was going out of business, the willingness to jump in, uh, learn the industry, manage it during a pandemic uh, with the vision of ensuring that the tattered cover will be around for another 50 years. Will it? I believe so, yes. Okay. I do, I do. Um, And getting that done, I think those are the traits people are going to look for in our next mayor. And and I think that, you know, I hope that people uh, see that and respect that, and uh, I'd be honored if I could receive their vote. Give me a buck or two that are your favorites, which would... Let people figure out who Kwame Spearman is. Well, so San Francisco is a really interesting book. The Man Who Broke Capitalism is a really interesting book. And only because we we started off talking about it, um, our very own Julian Rubenstein's The Holly. Yeah. Which, I, you know, Julian and I joke about this all the time. I think Tattered Cover was there from the start with that book. Um, I think we did a lot to publicize that book because it was a really, really good book. And it's it's so awesome to have a hometown book. And I remember, you know, reading it, it was amazing, and then seeing the documentary, and you're just like, this is our home. Interesting story. <laughs> but just this it was a source of Denver pride that someone was able to look at this topic, have a point of view on it. We were able to read but it, about it. it. Toward the end it alleges corruption. And uh, the movie's now on Amazon. Is there corruption in Denver? Do you have to come in and clean up a corrupt city? I, you know, have no idea on that. What what I do know is that as mayor, I will create accountability, right? Accountability for myself, accountability for our teams. And I think when you have accountability, that is the best way to solve, or I guess better put, end corruption. All right. Have you ever played Denver Public Golf Courses? Do you realize what a community and neighborhood form around those places? And- I, I have a horrible golf swing, but I, I have gone, particularly when I was in college and I would come back. Um, I've got a few friends who are, who are into golf, but I haven't been on them in a long time. 
Well, they're an important part of Denver, Denver history. And uh, whoever's going to be mayor, what a responsibility. I think it's going to be a new world. I have JFK behind me, and he talks about a new world. I think we're on the cusp of a new world. Hell, you went to Yale Law School. You're a lot smarter, but have you noticed this artificial intelligence, chat GPT, 3D printers? Isn't the next mayor going to encounter a world that's a lot different? I think so, you know, and, and something that I think about a lot and I talk about a lot is like similar to Mayor Pena in the mid eighties. This this might be a generational race, and you know I, I think that bringing in someone who has a fresh perspective, has not been in the system for a long time, and is going to tackle things both differently because. They weren't in the system, and also they're just a part of a different generation that views things um, differently. I think that's what Denver needs right How now. How old are you? 39. Are you the youngest person in the race? I may be the youngest person in the race. I mean, there, there are 17 of us, so. So do you think youth matters? I think you just said it might. I, I think that a fresh perspective is helpful. And I think that that's a, that's a unique trait that I have. It's, it's in part due to my youth that I haven't been doing this for a long time, but I think it's in part due to the career choices that I've made. Is race a factor? Should you be elected because you're a black man? Or? I, I, I think that absolutely not. I think that what voters need to do is they need to find the candidate that best aligns with the way that they want Denver to be. Um, one of the things I've always said is that I, I want my race to be a part of my identity. I want it to be a part of the whole application, but I have never wanted it to be the only reason. And so if the only reason why you were not voting for someone was because they were a white male, that's silly, in my opinion. Vote for them, right? Like, it's it's not going to be a great world to live in if you are excluded on day one just because of the color of your skin or your gender or your sexuality. It, it's amazing to me, to be frank with you, how much the pendulum has swung on the other side, right? That that now we're saying that about certain demographics. That's absolutely crazy. Well, it's kind of old hat. I mean, I worked for a black DA who wanted to be mayor, but he lost to another black man. And we've had Hispanic leaders like Federico Pena. But what about a female for mayor? Isn't that a glass ceiling that would be a good thing to break? You know, it's interesting because we were talking about Pat Schroeder, right? And Denver, in many ways, had the best congresswoman in the nation for, for two decades. You know, Denver's one of those places where I think we just elect the best candidate. And I think... That's what we should do moving forward. This is such a consequential race. Uh, I, I think to sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm voting for this person just because they're X or just because they're Y, I think our city deserves more than that. I think that you have a lot to give. You're educated. You have the passion. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming by. Give everybody your closing pitch and how they can help out. I bet you especially want to appeal to Denver people who could donate $5 that becomes 50 Sure, sure. So the, the Fair Election Fund, which you've just referenced, is a beautiful thing um, for all 
Denver uh, uh, voters, anything that you give up to $50 is matched at a nine to one ratio by the city and county of Denver. So as you said, Craig, a $50 donation or a contribution gives $500 to our campaign. And so you, as a low dollar donor, can start making really important impacts. You know, what I'd like to conclude with is this is an important race. And I really think it's the most consequential race we've seen since 1983. And what I I just want to encourage everyone to do is to research candidates and to get behind one and then to tell your friends about it. Because I hope that I can be your candidate. I want to be your neighborhood mayor. But what I want more than anything is for the city of Denver to get this one right. And if there's a better candidate out there, go out and support them. But I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, it's it's August and people are like, oh, I just, I don't know, I just voted for someone. That, that's not what Denver needs right now. Well, it sneaks up on people. Last night was a big debate on Nine News. They are going to have two more. Uh, what are the big events you see coming? Are they the debates, the chance to get out there? I think the debates are wildly wildly important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think, you know, it's going to be these sort of meet and greets that candidates are having. I think because there's so many candidates, it's going to feel a lot like the Iowa caucus. Right. You've chosen to go on some uh, Trump supporting radio. And what's your attitude about that? I don't know if it's Trump supporting, but it is conservative radio. I've also gone on incredibly liberal radio. You know, right. one of the things that you've got to do is speak to everyone. And one of the things that I But appreciate- I mean, what you'd like... If Alex Jones wanted to do an interview, Infowars, no. Sandy Hooklier, no, 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 Steve no, no. Bannon, no, he no, does no, a podcast. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm only speaking to people who have airtime over Denver voters because you right. can't be the neighborhood mayor if there are people that you are either afraid or don't want to talk to. And I intend to lead this city for everyone. And so, you know, what I love about the message is you can have a conversation with you, you can have a conversation right. with Brother Jeff, you can have a conversation with George Brockler, and I, you'll see I'm saying the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's authenticity um, and it's vision, and I think it's leadership, and I think that's what Denver needs right now. Kwame Spearman, candidate for Denver mayor, one of the most important jobs, probably, as Kwame said, the most powerful political position, even maybe more so than governor in all of Colorado. Kwame Spearman, great luck to you on the campaign trail. Stay safe and thanks again. Thank you so much. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. 
So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. And wow, what a show. Kwame Spearman, thanks for the candid talk. Interesting dude. A young man, only 39. Our troubadour, what did he say he is? 69? I don't believe it but he's got a lot of wisdom and great musical ability. Thank you, Troubadour. Next week, another candidate, Deb Ortega, lined up. Don't miss it. Please tell friends, subscribe, share, five stars. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.